You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. So it turns out that Rick Santorum won the Iowa caucuses by 69 votes. Santorum, 69. We're just going to leave that alone. Any association between Santorum and 69-ing or 69-votings or anything at all is too horrifying to contemplate. So we're going to switch to the other GOP presidential nomination race, sex scandalette of the week. Of the day, of the moment. This is a treat for me because usually when I come in here and I want to rant and rave about some political thing, the tech savvy at risk youth already know all about it and they kind of roll their eyes at me because they know what I'm going to say because I'm nothing if not predictable. But this time, this once, they didn't hear the news. They were locked in the booth getting ready to do the show as this was breaking everywhere. So Newt Gingrich's ex-wife, his second wife, his second ex-wife gave an interview to ABC News, which is going to air uh, tonight. Uh, last week for you listeners, but tonight for me, uh, after the debate in South Carolina, and I'm just going to read a little bit from ABC News's report, Marianne Gingrich, a self-described conservative Republican, said she is coming forward now so voters know what she knows about Newt Gingrich. In her most provocative comments, the ex-Mrs. Gingrich said Newt sought an open marriage arrangement so he could have a mistress and a wife. She said when Gingrich admitted to a six-year affair with a congressional aide, that would be the that would be the current Mrs. Newt Gingrich. That's Callista Devout Catholic Gingrich, always described as Devout Catholic. Any news report, Google Callista and Devout Catholic. Nobody talks about this bitch without qualifying her as Devout Catholic. Okay, so this Devout Catholic was Newt Gingrich's mistress for six years at this point when Newt went to his wife. And asked if she would share him, and go back to the story, she would share him with the other woman, Callista. He wanted an open marriage and I refused. Marianne described her shock at Gingrich's behavior, including how she says she learned he conducted his affair with Callista in my bedroom, in our apartment in Washington, D.C. Now, I got a million emails th- this morning from people announcing to me, telling me, informing me that Newt Gingrich can be counted among the monogamish. Not true. You are not asking your wife for an open relationship when you go to her and tell her you've been fucking somebody else already for six years. What you're telling her is that you're not asking her for an open marriage. You're telling her that you're in an open marriage and so is she. She just didn't know it. That's not monogamish me. Monogamish me implies a certain level of honesty and openness, uh, and mutuality and consent in most cases. Uh, this is not monogamishimi. This is not an open marriage. This is an ultimatum. This is presenting your wife after the fucked, six years after the fucked, uh, with the news that she is in an open marriage. And if she wants to continue in this marriage, she has to sign off on retroactively, sign off on your behavior, retroactively grant you this open marriage. So this is, I would not describe this as monogamish. I would describe this as monogamess. Newt Gingrich is a monogamous. I'm going to read a little bit more from Brian Ross's report here at ABC News. She said Newt moved for the divorce just months after she had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, 
with her then-husband present for the diagnosis. He was advised by the doctor, quoting Marianne, when I was sitting there that I was not to be under any stress. He knew, she said. Gingrich divorced his first wife, Jackie, to marry Marianne, as she was being treated for cancer. His relationship with Marianne began while he was still married to Jackie, but in divorce proceedings, Marianne said, which just, you know, I read that and thought, thought immediately of Callista, devout Catholic Gingrich. Just wanted to inquire after your health, Callista. If you get diagnosed with a hangnail, you don't want Newt to know about it. Also, on the Callista front, I really think it's fair for the national press to ask the mistress what she knew and when she knew it. Did Callista, devout Catholic Gingrich, know about this open marriage proposal? Did Newt bounce the idea off Callista first, maybe moments after he finished bouncing his dick off her? The Gingrich campaign has presented the wholesome story of Newt and Callista's courtship as this fucking redemption narrative. Newt is a better man today, thanks to Callista. He's better suited to be president, thanks to Callista. He's better prepared as he has pledged to defend traditional one man, one woman marriage, thanks to Callista. Callista even brought Newt back to the one holy Catholic apostolic and rapidly anti-gay church. So I think it's fair game to inquire if devout Catholic Callista Gingrich knew in advance that Newt was going to ask his second wife for an open marriage and approved of the arrangement. It might be, you know, again, it's more accurate to say that Newt informed his second wife that she was already in an open marriage and asked if she wanted to stay in it. But whatever, we'll just borrow the formulation here. So would Callista today during this campaign still be Newt's mistress if the second Mrs. Gingrich had agreed to remain Married to Newt and given him retroactive okay for an open marriage to continue fucking the shit, pardon me, fucking the consecrated host out of this devout Catholic. This news really alters the redemption narrative that the Gingrich campaign has set before voters about his relationship with Callista. So questioning Callista about the open marriage proposal, what did the mistress know and when did she know it, seems to me an entirely legit line of inquiry. Get on it, National Press Corps, and I'm going to get on your calls after this. This Valentine's Day, ExtremeRestraints.com would like to remind you that nothing says love like exploring your partner's kinks. Flowers may wilt, but some kinky new toys can change your sex life forever. Save an extra 10% at ExtremeRestraints.com with coupon code GGG. Double that GGG discount if you use it by Valentine's Day. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hey, Dan. So my husband and I have been together almost 10 years, and before uh, we settled down and had kids, we were pretty voyeuristic and exploratory. We had you know, how to threesome, and um, we were always trying to get it on in front of friends that would allow us to. <laughs> um, and now, you know, 10 years later, kids and little libidos and all that fun stuff. Um, well, things have been, you know, coming back to life, <laughs> um, and we've talked about the possibility of having someone join us again. It would be a friend, you know, because I'm not really comfortable with it being a total stranger. Um, 
is it really a safe thing to risk when you have kids and you're settled in your life? Is You know, I know you really think that it's okay as long as everyone's willing and whatnot, um, but I'd love your advice. And I also have another question for you. So in this whole scenario, like, I was really into it and comfortable with it um, when I felt like I was in control. Like, my husband was basically giving me permission to flirt with his friend, and he finds it really... Um, erotic or whatever and so do I so um but now you know that friend of course kind of is fine with it but also pulled away and wanted to make sure my husband was comfortable and they had like their alone guy conversation and so now that they're talking about it and I kind of feel like the ball's out of my court or the power's out of my hands I'm really nervous about it and I'm really less comfortable um and you know, I just wonder what that means. Like, I know that when I was younger, like a teenager, I was raped and I, you know, I think that maybe part of it is like, I'm wanting to feel like I'm in control and have that power. But, um, now I'm kind of thinking maybe my husband wants that power too. <laughs> Cause you know, he had some pretty open conversations with this friend. Um, it's hard to navigate these situations, I think. So I'm wondering if maybe we should just, you know, put it to a halt for now. Um, I don't know. I want to direct the attention of other listeners who may have very young children in the home to some very hopeful words in your call before we get to your questions and your problems. Things have come back to life. That is so important. Uh, a lot of people who are parents feel they have to move through the world seeming completely disinterested in sex, uh, you know, with their friends and family, like sex isn't important anymore and they're not sexual beings anymore. They're parents. And that can really add to people's sense of despair when they're in that place where they have small children and the libidos have cratered and there's not a lot of time or opportunity or energy for sex. A lot of people with small children will really uh, begin to despair, become bitter, curdle, because they think it's, it will always be thus that it's never going to kick back in and that you know this idea out there in the in the culture that that it never does kick back in i think it undermines a lot of pretty decent marriages where people need to look at each other when their kids are young and go it will not be this way forever right now we are not fucking much but uh shit will kick back into gear in time let's trust that and so i want to draw that or draw the attention of other listeners who may have young children to that aspect of your call shit is kicking back into gear for this couple together 10 years uh, whose children uh, are small but not so small anymore. Now, your questions, you know, is it safe thing to risk uh, having this three-way when you have kids? Well, it really depends on how you assess risk. And, you know, when it comes to an open marriage or a monogamish marriage, not a monogamous marriage, not monogamessy, not Newt Gingrich, but when it comes to a monogamish, a little – License, a little allowance, an accommodation, maybe the occasional uh, planned for orchestrated uh, three-way where the kids are off at grandma's house or you guys go to a hotel when grandma comes. Uh, and this can happen in a very controlled and safe way that, that involves talk and planning and not you know drinking and drugs and seizing the opportunity. Uh, I don't think the risks are that great. You know, sexual satisfaction within marriage, however an individual couple defines it, if both partners are really satisfied and happy, uh, that cements the bond. So uh, there may be a risk to not pursuing this because sexual frustration and denial and you know lack of variety, adventure, opportunity, which used to be so important to you guys, that can – that never coming back, that can erode your bond. There's risks there too. 
Because if it gets in your head or his head that the only way you two will ever get to have a really exciting sexual adventure again as individuals is to divorce, that incentivizes divorce. And your subconscious mind, your horny mind, your sexual mind, your reptile brain, which is all very strong, powerful, will set about undermining and sabotaging your marriage if that's what it takes to get these things back into your life. So the risks aren't just on the three-way side of the ledger. The risks are on the we're not going to do this ever again because it's too risky side of the ledger too. And of course, you know, having sex with other people, there are risks there as well around disease, safety, paternity, uh, exposure. If your friend has a big blabby mouth and you live in a place where people wouldn't smile on this kind of activity. Um, so there are risks there and you need to weigh those risks, weigh the risks and then to try to mitigate them, the risks of doing this against the risks of not doing it. And there are risks in not doing it too. I know that when it comes to sex, all people ever want to see are the risks in having the sex, in doing the sex, whatever the sex is. And no one, because we live in a sex-negative culture, ever looks at the risks of not having the sex. And there are risks. It can undermine your marriage for you guys to look at each other and see nothing but no, to see the end of adventure, the end of possibility, the end of variety. As for your sense of control that's important for your sense of safety, I think you can go to your husband and say, the way you went about this, you know, talking to him, me not being in the driver's seat, uh, that kind of makes me less interested in pursuing it. So can we start over again, even with the same guy and just let me have some sense of control because of my past, you know, perhaps because of my history with having been raped, I need this sense of control to feel comfortable doing this. Uh, you know, and, and if you give me that control, it's likelier to happen and you want this to happen. So just let me organize it. Uh, and I think if you say that to your husband and you say it in that way where you're not laying into him and you're not, uh, you know, condemning him or crucifying him for this, he's likely to cede that control back to you because there's something in it for him ceding the control. This is likely to happen if you're in charge. Uh, and I think you should forgive your husband. He was laying the groundwork. Maybe he got a little excited. Maybe he got a little ahead of himself. Your husband should be sensitive to your particular needs and your history. Uh, you need to cut him some slack. You know, He has sexual agency too. He has needs and desires too. He has a right to think about, talk about his own sex life too. You know, He did it in a way that made you less likely to want to have this three-way and that's something you absolutely should tell him. Uh, because he can backtrack, he can apologize, and then you guys can start over again with the same guy. Uh, but I don't think that what he did was that terrible, talking about it with his friend first, laying the groundwork. So forgive him, back up, start over with the same guy, you in the driver's seat, weigh the risks of doing it versus the risks of not doing it, uh, and then go for it, go for it. Things have come back to life. That's a wonderful, wonderful, hopeful message for all the other parents out there. Give us a call back. Let us know how it went. Hi, Dan. A few years back, a 16-year-old boy wrote you asking how to get laid. You wrote back that he should work hard to become an 18-year-old man who women want to sleep with. I'm not that man, but I'm calling you in the same spirit. I'm a 50-year-old married street man. I've had trouble asserting myself sexually and otherwise without coming off like an ass. And I feel physically awkward. I'm small and often come off sounding female. People on the phone address me as ma'am. I've been in a relationship with my wife for close to 20 years where the sex is piss poor, always has been, likely to her inhibitions and my being too scared to push. At the same time, my career has been a series of fits, starts, and misses with a lot of unemployment between jobs and not a lot of satisfaction. I spent over 10 years in therapy and it's helped me feel better but not great. 
I don't have the stomach for more of it, and I'm afraid I'll just use it as a way to feel better, but not really change. So, I'm feeling glow and want to make it better, but feel lost. There's a dizzying assortment of self-help books and plans out there. I've also discovered a whole host of people who say that I need to learn how to grow up here, not to be so nice, and to incorporate pickup artist type of games in my life. It all seems that a lot of the writers I've read have a pretty low opinion of women. So Dan, as someone who's made his own transition from awkward to fabulous and well-rounded, what advice would you give and what books, mentors, and role models would you suggest to an older person who wants to turn around his life and affect to become a 51, 52, or 55-year-old that women want to sleep with? Oh, you are not going to like what I have to say. Not that I don't think a 51, 52, 55-year-old man can be fabulous. He can. It's just tough out there for a pimp. You know, if you're Donald Trump, if you're Perlman, if you're Larry King, there's no end to supermodels who will swing on your deck because women are sex objects, men are success objects. And it sounds like you ain't a billionaire. So it's going to be a little bit tougher hoe to hoe for you, which is why I would encourage you, uh, you know, also you're a 50-year-old married man. And that's going to be a hang-up for most women. I would encourage you to get online. I would encourage you to go to Adult Friend Finder. I would encourage you to reach out for other women your own age who may be in similarly sexually unsatisfying marriages that they don't want out of for other reasons uh, and present yourself as you are. Uh, you know, There are women out there who – don't feel like they're physically perfect, who feel a little awkward, who feel like they were never quite in the game, who feel inhibited with their spouses and want to try out sex with somebody where there isn't a lot at stake emotionally, financially, socially, and they can just fucking go for it. And you could volunteer to be that guy. And your awkwardness and your shyness and your lack of experience for a woman like that may be a selling point. She may not want to be played by some pickup artist, bullshit artist. She may want to be with somebody who is feeling his way forward in middle age just as she is. Uh, but you have to then be willing to – I don't want to say settle for that. I want to say embrace that woman, that woman who's your peer, who's on your level, who's in your ballpark. And your option after that, if you – if that's not good enough for you, if you want you know, somebody who's got a slamming bod, as they might say in a pickup artist manual – is to rent. And I know that that's a kick in the ego for a lot of guys. Uh, but there are lots of really good, thoughtful, considerate, compassionate sex workers out there who specialize. Who, this is what they do. They fulfill the fantasies of, of long-married heterosexual guys whose you know, relationships with their wives, however satisfying they might be emotionally or in other ways, sexually just aren't it, who have certain needs, things they want to experience before they goddamn die, before they're too old to get it up anymore. Uh, and if you look around and you do your due diligence, you can find a sex worker who's not being sex trafficked, who's not being abused, who's an independent operator, who would be delighted to relieve you of a couple of hundred bucks and a load. And it might be a quicker route to the kind of sexual satisfaction you're clearly looking for. This Valentine's Day, ExtremeRestraints.com would like to remind you that nothing says love like exploring your partner's kinks. Flowers wilt, but a kinky new toy can change your sex life forever. Extreme Restraints is a huge selection of gear to inspire your sexual desires, including bondage gear, electrosex, fucking machines, chastity devices, strap-ons, and even vibrators. Save an extra 10% at ExtremeRestraints.com with the coupon code GGG. 
Double that GGG discount if you use it by Valentine's Day. Hi, Dan. I am a bisexual female living in Chicago. Um, My question is, I'm wondering, okay, I'm 23 years old, and I have never fucked a man. Um, I've had sex with a lot of ladies, and I've had a lot of sexual experience with men, but I've never had a penis in my vagina. And I don't feel like a virgin. I've been sexually active for a while now. I've had a lot of sexual experience. I don't have, like, the virginity hang-ups that I might have had at, like, 15 or 14 or at a younger age. What I'm wondering is I'm considering, I had have been considering having sex with a dude because I kind of want to get it out of the way. I kind of want to, like, know what it feels like and um, do that thing. But I'm wondering, what is my responsibility to let a sexual partner of mine, a male, know that I've never had a penis in my vagina, that I'm technically a virgin based on the definition of sex that has to do with having dick in your pussy. So I'm wondering, what responsibility do I have to disclose that information? What right do men in my life or men that I might want to, men whose penises I might want to put in my vagina, what responsibility do I have to them to let them know that that's something I haven't done, even though I've been sexually active and considered myself a pretty sexual person for a really long time? Always disclose. Always err on the side of disclosing relevant information. Uh, I would think that, you know, you being who you are, sexually experienced, sexually at ease, GGG, down with it, not not identified as a virgin, uh, that, that the usual reason to disclose the big, the big V thing uh, is that you might have some sort of meltdown. You might have some sort of emotional reaction. You might imprint like a baby duckling and follow the dude around for the rest of your life. That's not going to happen for you. That's not a risk. So for you, this thing is kind of a, a perk for you to go to the guy and say, I really want to do this real experience. By the way, I've never done it. You would be the first guy. You would be the first dick in my pussy. I can't imagine that the kinds of bi guys that you're running with wouldn't be honored and thrilled and chuffed and excited and aroused. Uh, and if he's not, you, you don't want him to be the first dick in your pussy. If, if he reacts badly, that's, that's what always gets me about these sexual disclosure things. I, I, I know that people fear rejection. I get it. I fear rejection. Everybody fears rejection. But when you drill down into these issues, invariably, if the person rejects you – on the basis of this disclosure, it's almost always a case of good, good, fuck that person. You're, you're well rid of that person. Find somebody who, who, for whom that wouldn't be an issue or for whom that would be just a fucking perk. And this, for the kind, you know, for, for most guys, straight, gay, bi, sexually experienced, players, not players, pickup artists, 50 year olds with wives at home that they don't like to fuck anymore, this would be a world class perk. You can make this Valentine's Day one you'll both never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, 
including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. And there's more. With every order, you'll receive their romance kit free. Their romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus a free adult DVD to put you in the mood. And that's not all. They will also throw in free shipping on your entire order. So go check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's Day offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and free shipping when you enter offer code SAVAGE, S-A-V-A-G-E. That's SAVAGE at adamandeve.com. Hey, Dan. I am a 17-year-old straight-identified guy. And I was... I have this girlfriend who I've been dating for about, I don't know, six months now, and we really like each other, and, you know, we said that, you know, we love each other, and it was a big thing, and everything's, you know, going great, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we do things, we've made out, I've touched her breast, I'm in a bra, I've felt her up a little bit, I've never gone below the belt. She's never gone below the belt, but we are very sexually attracted to each other, even though we almost never talk about it. I am a virgin, and I would really like it if she would take my virginity. I'm also a virgin, and she is also a virgin. And I was wondering how to talk to her about losing her virginity with me and us losing it to each other and how to broach that subject. She is a Muslim, but she's not a very strict Muslim. And I really want to be respectful about it. And I really don't want to pressure her about it. But it's also, it's something that is very important to me that it happens. So how long have you been with your girlfriend? I've been with her for about six, seven months. And we have said I love you, so... Okay. I don't know. If <laughs> Whatever that's worth. <laughs> it's worth something. If, if you've yeah. said I love you to somebody, you can initiate or should be able to initiate, should have already initiated a conversation about values, if I may borrow uh-huh. that loaded term, uh, you know, about what your expectations are when it comes to sex, uh, you know, what your priorities are when it comes to sex. You need to put all that on the table. You should, you know, I realize you're young and and she's young uh, and these conversations can seem difficult because they could bring about the end of the relationship. And so what happens when you're young is you avoid conversations that might require you to break up with each other because you don't want to break up with each other. Yeah, yeah. But what you learn is you really, really like each other. Right. But what you (laughs) learn when you get older is that dating is a vetting process where you find out if this like uh, isn't just chemical, isn't just physical. And if, you know, you don't just like each other personally, but enough of what you want in life and what the other person wants in life aligns that you can go forward at the relationship. You know, so you need to ask yourself if being with her means being a virgin until you marry, and that may be five years, seven years, 10 years. Can you do that? Is that something you're willing to do? You need to find – you need to talk to her. You shouldn't right. – someone that you've said I love you to, you should be able to say you're a virgin. I'm a virgin. At some point, I'd like to be sexually active. I'm not interested in abstaining until marriage. Where are you at on these issues? And it can be hard for so – I, I should just be direct and kind of go right at it. Yes, but you don't want to go at it in such a way where you make her feel like you're manipulating her, where you're threatening her yeah. and saying, you put out or I'm breaking up with you. 
because you yeah, don't. Yeah. I mean, and, and the best way to address that is just to say a lot of times when you know bo- young boy, boys and girls high school relationships have these conversations, it can you know the girl may feel coerced. Uh, if she's not ready into putting out. And so I don't want to feel like you feel like you're coerced. And if you're not ready, I totally respect that. Um, And then we'll see where this relationship goes. But please don't put out just to keep me because if that's the only reason you would have sex, it's the wrong reason and we're not going to be together for long anyway. Because if she she has sex with you for that reason, the relationship is doomed because she's going Uh to resent you and it's going to curdle everything. It's going to ruin everything. Right. Well, do you have a do you have any advice for me, like for actually doing it? You know, for the first time, doing sex or doing the talk about sex? Doing sex? <laughs> no, I have no <laughs> advice about that uh, because the first thing you need to do is talk about it. You need to be able to talk about sex before you have it. Where young people get into trouble yeah. is they have it without talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they find out after the fact that the other person felt coerced or felt like they hadn't really consented. They weren't really ready. And so what you need to practice and you need to get good at is blab, 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 blab about it first. Feel okay. each other out. Don't feel each other up for a change. Right. You know? Right. And if there's a cultural difference here, you know, if she's from a you know, more conservative religious tradition, she may have different expectations uh, when it comes to sex and family that, that you have. And that may ultimately uh-huh. make you two sexually incompatible. And you can still say these seven or eight months, nine months, ten months, whatever it ends up being, they were great. You were, you know, I was a really good first boyfriend for you. I was totally respectful. You were really first girl, good first girlfriend for me. But you know, obviously, we can't be together over the long haul. There's nothing wrong with that. How many people, adults, do either of you know who are with the person they were dating when they were seventeen? Nobody. <laughs> right. So odds are that even if you are do become sexually active, even if you do want roughly the same things out of life, odds are that you won't be together forever. So if you guys right. part now because you would like to be sexually active with the girl you're dating in high school and she doesn't want to be sexually active and, and we're making assumptions about where she's at. She may be down with it entirely. Who knows? Um, if you part now, it's not the world's biggest fucking tragedy. It ain't Romeo and fucking Juliet. It's just right, – right. it's normal. And if this yeah. is what ends it, yeah. it's normal. And if this ends it, let it end it. Please tell her from me that if she's not ready and she doesn't want you as much – want to have sex, as much as she might like you, she shouldn't fuck you to keep you. Okay. Because that's the wrong re- – and you shouldn't want her to fuck you to keep you. No. I don't want to put anybody under any pressure. And so if you just say all of this to her, talk, 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 talk it out and talk it out fearlessly because if what comes out – you know, the reason people hesitate and feel inhibited about having these conversations is they're afraid it might lead to the end of the relationship. And you shouldn't be yeah. afraid of that because if what you find out as you really hash this out is that you two aren't supposed to be together, then the end of the relationship was going to come anyway and should come. Okay. So you would you need to embrace that instead of fearing it and then blundering right. forward. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to do that as the straight guy in this situation. You don't want to no. blunder forward and get into a situation where she did something that she regrets and blames you for because then you're going to be the villain in that piece forever. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to scar anybody. No, you don't. You don't. Yeah. And that is much yeah. that you know, having sex before you're ready, having sex because you feel pressured or coerced is much more scarring than having your first high school relationship end. Right. Yeah. 
and birth control. Well, thanks a lot. I'm I'm a, I'm a really big fan. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of you. You seem like a really thoughtful young dude. Uh, and so I'm yeah. just going to end with birth control. If she's, you know, we're making assumptions based on her faith about how she may feel about premarital sex. But if she's down with it, if she's ready and if she wants to and you're in a really free place and don't have this conversation when you're making out, please. Don't have these conversations when you could then progress immediately to fucking. Have this conversation okay. in a coffee shop. Have this conversation in a public place where there are a lot of people who aren't too close that they can listen. Right, aren't right, so close right. they can listen. But someplace <laughs> where you're not making a move and it's understood you're not making a move, okay? Because uh-huh. you don't want her to yeah. get swept up in a moment and, and want to in that moment and then realize the next day that she didn't really want to. She's afraid that you're going to break up with her. So have it at a time where she can then go back home and think about it some more. But then if she wants to, birth fucking control. Yeah, absolutely. Hormonal for her if she's on it and a condom too. Uh Uh-huh. Condoms, condoms, condoms. Promise me condoms. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Good luck. You're welcome. Hey, Dan. I'm a 20-year-old straight male from Louisiana. For as long as I can remember, I've been attracted to larger, curvy women. I, on the other hand, am physically fit and very active in sports. My problem is really with my friends and family. Whenever I go out anywhere with my friends, if I end up dancing or talking to a girl who I find attractive, they feel like they have the need to come rescue me from a girl who I think is hot, but I guess they think is fat. My family also jokes that I pick up women by carrying around boxes of chocolates. Because of my friends and family, I tend to try to date women that they would find attractive. I've listened to your podcast for many years. I know how important it is to keep in shape for your partner. I'm also aware of the long-term risks of being obese. I guess my question is, how can I embrace my love for curvy women without feeling the shame from my friends and family or worrying about the long-term health risks of a future partner? You guys piss me off. I'm just going to say that. You athletic, skinny-ish guys who are attracted to big women who date skinny bitches because that's what your family wants or those are the women that your friends are attracted to and you're too ashamed and embarrassed to go after what you really want – then you call me and you expect a lot of sympathy from the fag with the fucking sex podcast who had to look his mom in the eye when he was a teenager and say, what I want is dick. You're getting a lot of sympathy from me. No, you're not going to sympathy from me. You fucking suck, man. You're a coward. Fuck the girls. Date the girls that you are attracted to and don't waste your time on people that you aren't into because that's those are the expectations that your family and your friends and your culture is putting on you. I didn't fall for that shit. And I was over it by the time I was out of high school. How old are you again? You're 28. Nut up, motherfucker. And there's tons of wonderful big women out there who are sick of being treated like this by the guys who are attracted to them, who sneak around and and, and fuck them on the sly or trawl for them on Craigslist because they're too embarrassed to be seen in public with them because of what their families might think. And all their families are going to think is he's into big women. Just like when my family saw my boyfriend for the first time, they thought he's into dick. I got over the shame and you can too. And when your family tries to re- – your friends try to rescue you from the big girl, you look at them and say, this is what I like. Fuck off. That just means more skinny bitches for you, motherfucker. Go fuck that bag of bones. I'm with her. Okay? And as for the health issues, yes, there are health issues. Yes, it is better to be a skinny bitch. You can be too skinny, however, 
And there is a health at every size movement that the fat acceptance movement promotes. Uh, there's you know a, di- a, a difference between – a feeder gainer relationship where you've encouraged her and enabled her to grow to seven, eight, nine hundred pounds and her life is in danger and just letting her be, you know, a size 12 or a size 14 or whatever it is that she's comfortable being and encouraging her to eat well enough, to move enough, to get, you know, to get enough exercise if she isn't already and she may very well be already. So be with who you want to be with. And don't think over much about the health health risks. I, I, you know, I don't want to draw too many parallels, but there are health risks to being a faggot. There are higher STI rates in my community, higher rates of drug and alcohol abuse and self-abuse. And I don't mean masturbation through sex, but self-abuse with sex. Uh, and I am cognizant of those risks and I do what I can to control for them and mitigate them. But I'm not going to not be who I am and I'm not going to not be – with the people that I want to be with, that my heart and my dick want to be with. You shouldn't either. Buck, buck, buck. Chicken shit. Not up. No sympathy. Not for me. Hi, I'm actually calling from Israel. I saw um, the article that you had on the New York Times about being monogamish, and I really thought that you would like to know that the word G-A-M-I-S-H, gamish, or gamish in Hebrew means flexible. I thought you would just enjoy that. Basically, you know, monogamish is being monoga flexible. Um, I also have a question for myself, which is a little bit involved. I'm currently using birth control or birth control, you know, the pill. Um, I've tried other things, but they haven't worked. I had an infected IUD, and um, I uh, tried. I tried condoms and actually got pregnant using a condom. I thought I used it correctly. I'm married, and. Um, come back on the pill because it's the only thing that works, but it really affects my libido, and I just didn't know if there's anything that you know of that could that could help me with that. Doctors don't seem to really care because, you know, as long as it's called effective medically, they want me to keep using it and, you know, and to medically being safe, I think it's the best thing, but I thought maybe you'd have some tips, even though I know women aren't really your thing. Thanks a lot. Bye. First, thank you for... Gamish or gamish, that's terrific. The, the the marriage of my two big or two of my big memes, GGG, good giving and game, and monogam-ish. Gamish, flexible, perfect. I love it. Uh, hopefully my column will one day appear in Israel. Tel Aviv, I hope. I would like to one day appear in Tel Aviv, actually. Uh, anyway, stop thinking about hot Israeli soldiers. Stop thinking about hot Israeli soldiers. Uh, your question about hormonal birth control. Uh, what you need to do is mix it up. One of the things doctors don't care about when it comes to the pill, uh, you know, they're not invested in your libido. You have to go in and be the advocate for your own libido and insist on switching up, trying different hormonal birth control methods if hormonal birth control is the only thing that works. And also, if it really doesn't work for you and it craters your libido, just because you got pregnant once using a condom incorrectly doesn't mean you're going to get pregnant every single time you use the condom. So uh, condoms have a failure rate. Uh, So does birth control. Birth control has a failure rate too. Uh, But you can go back to condoms and you can try other things and IUDs and uh, what are they called? I want to call them. I want to call it a manhole cover. I can never think of what it is. Diaphragm. <laughs> it's not a manhole. It's a woman hole, and it's not a cover. It's a diaphragm. You can try those too. Uh, and then, of course, there's always uh, anal intercourse. 
But mix it up and be your own advocate at your doctor. Your doctor may not care, but he's going to give a shit if you're sitting there giving a shit yourself and getting in his face and making an appointment or her face. And if they don't give a shit, uh, you can always change doctors until you find someone Find a doctor that does give a shit about your libido, does give a shit about the side effects of hormonal birth control and is willing to listen and work with you until you find a birth control method, hormonal or not, that works for you. Hey, Dan. I uh, just got done listening to podcast 273 with the uh, woman who called in about her bitch sister sending her emails. I was just going to throw out there that uh, if she does follow her mom's advice and tries to, to keep it hidden, that's just going to give her sister additional ammunition in the future to continue to snoop in her business and try to make it everyone else's business. So honesty is the best policy. You are 100% right in your recommendation, as you usually are. Hi, Dan. Referring to a show a little while back about uh, girls being concerned about their boyfriend's possible pedophilia after stumbling on websites or computer history. I just want to really encourage them to do their due diligence and dig a little bit deeper because it can be really easy when surfing the web. Sometimes you'll come across this big page of pictures and you'll see a hot girl or something and you'll click on it and the next thing you know you've been directed to a site that's something like tiny peen Russian cum guzzling whores or something. You quickly try and tap away, tap away, but it's on there. So it's easy to stumble upon stuff that you're not looking for on the Internet. And I just really want to encourage people to uh, make sure that their boyfriends or whatever are really uh, looking at those sites, subscribing to those sites, or are, are really doing what they're afraid they're doing. Hi, Dan. This is in response to uh, people worrying about coming out to their grandparents. I think the question is, do they vote? However old your grandparents are, do they vote? And if they vote, we need them on our side. So, you know, buck up and come out to your grandparents. And we're going to leave it there. Uh, a quick word, though, to all of my listeners in Canada who are expecting the rant at the top of the show to be the decision or the opinion floated by a low-level lawyer in the Harper regime invalidating all the marriages of same-sex couples uh, who don't live in Canada uh, that have been performed there over the last nearly decade that I exploded about online and then I was in every uh, on every Canadian news broadcast for about 24 hours. Uh, yeah, that made me really mad and I was totally planning on ranting about that. And then Newt Gingrich did that thing. Newt Gingrich's wife, ex-wife, came forward with uh, the open marriage proposal uh, and I had to blow up about that instead. I'm still angry at Stephen Harper. Sorry I didn't rant about it today, but I just had to lay in a new grudge. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. Uh, if you want to make sure your comment gets out there, you can always go to thestranger.com slash lovecast, where every show has its own comments thread, and leave a comment. 206-201-2720. Once again, that's the number. Me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for having